It said that the best way to learn to lead is to lead. But the very, very best way to learn to lead is from a great leader. I'm Garland McWaters, and this is the Spirit of Leading podcast. Those college-age years are pivotal as a transition into that full responsibilities of adulthood. No one knows this better than Jarrett Job. He has committed his professional life to helping young people develop their leadership abilities and talents that would lead them toward that more productive life. Jarrett is the Assistant Vice President of Student Leadership at the University of Central Oklahoma and my guest on this episode of the Spirit of Leading podcast. Jarrett, welcome. Welcome and Garland, thank you for having me today. It's excited to talk about leadership and how we can develop continually better leaders. Well, I know that's a big emphasis in a lot of uh, university settings in particular because uh, I know when I was in college, I was always involved in student government. I mean, I got interested in student government like in the ninth grade. Looking back, hats off to those uh, student advisors and faculty advisors who took it upon themselves, probably for no additional pay at that time, to uh, show interest, you know, in students. But uh, now, with the full weight of uh, a university and and uh, the emphasis on uh, leadership uh, at the university level and for students, uh, certainly it has to be a rewarding experience for you to get a chance to do that. For sure. And I think you hit something already that is one of the key pieces for leadership and myself and what we do here at UCO and what we try to accomplish in our leadership development is to try to encourage and recognize students who have determined that they want to make a difference and they want to lead from where they are and even more specific to help them see that in themselves. I think all of us have a moment, uh, mine was in late high school, to where a mentor, a teacher, an educator, uh, could be a coach, kind of grabs you and says, I think you can do this, or I think you have the abilities necessary to lead and to serve your communities. And so that's such an important part of what we do here is to try to also recognize and to encourage students that may not think of themselves in that way and to help develop them to say, you can make a difference and you can do it in a way that is unique to your preferences, to your experiences, and really have a powerful experience where you can move and change um, to help provide, again, more, more uh, productive and more inclusive society. Well, let's talk about uh, how that plays out here at uh, UCO. I know that uh, there's an office, we're in recording this podcast in your office suite, mm-hmm. where it's kind of the crossroads of some leadership experiences here at the school. Uh, uh, what, how does a UCO as an institution approach this service to students to help them get this opportunity to taste leadership? Yeah, leadership is one of our central six tenets. So it's really embedded across the institution. And one of the goals with leadership is to, again, encourage and provide those opportunities for students to find their leadership voice and find where they can impact. Um, we need doctors that are leaders. We need teachers that are leaders. We need accountants that are leaders. And so really, the academic discipline isn't really contingent on your leadership abilities. We find that we can create and provide, again, these opportunities for students in whatever profession they're going to go into, um, whatever academic pursuit they're in. It allows us to communicate to them that those things are important, but you can lead in all of those spaces. And so by providing opportunities for continuous leadership development, Um, whether that be in a classroom setting or in a co-curricular environment, like you mentioned, in student government and organizations that they're involved in on campus. That's how we pursue it, is to provide that opportunity for students to really engage and grow in those um, service aspects, um, leadership aspects, and in the classroom to recognize that 
my path academically or professionally doesn't actually have to then be exclusive of other things that I can do, which is lead and serve their communities. Well, I think it's interesting and maybe appropriate. And it's also a subtle message, too, that uh, your offices, your office suite for student leadership is right here in the student center. I mean, it's in the hub of where everything happens, you know, here on the university campus and not in some uh, a college somewhere else. You know, it's right here in the center of everything. And uh, do, how, how do you see that that just physical location sends a message to students about what you're trying to create and do here on the, on the university campus? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that question because we weren't always over here. And through some changes in um, our senior leadership and some restructuring of departments, we you know, explicitly recognize we need to be where the students are. We'd always had high priority because we were connected to um, our executive leadership here and our senior team and cabinet level. And so we know that the institution, um, our previous presidents and our current president value our leadership um, opportunities and, and programs. But we did. We want to be close to the action. So about 18 to two years ago, uh, kind of the domino started falling and we said we need to be here in the student union because we need to prioritize this message for students. And we've had a great um, year now, of course, the, the last 18 months has been an up and down with restrictions and COVID and things like that, right? But um, now we're starting to see a lot of more, a lot more traffic. We're being able to partner more intentionally with other departments, and our presence in this building really raises the bar and, and sets the priorities for who we are as an office and leadership for our institution. sometimes when we were on a college campus or university campus or something uh, we, we end up kind of in our own little space it's our own little community you know of who, here we are and who we are and and uh, the, the, the people that we bump into sort of on campus usually but I understand that uh, UCO is also trying to really take uh, leadership out into the community and out into the world uh, what are some examples of uh, how you're trying to accomplish that Yes, for our office particularly, and I do think it's an institutional priority, and I think being the metro institution of Oklahoma City, um, we really prioritize trying to get involved. And so I'll give you some examples of different things we've done and that we continue to do that are global, um, national, and domestic level programs and definitely local Oklahoma City Edmond programs. So first and foremost, I'll cover something we did just a few weeks ago. We have a rowing partnership with our, our gear up and trio offices. And so we were able to take some students from the Metro down to our rowing facility, uh, right there off the Oklahoma mm -hmm. River, as a lot of people are familiar with there. Our women's rowing team is an amazing rowing, rowing team, national championships, multiple that they've achieved. And so we were able to bring in some uh, eighth, ninth, 10th grade students to engage with our women rowers and uh, let them kind of see them at work and also do leadership development and training. So that's a program that's just right there We've also engaged in some international uh, programs with some partners, some non-governmental organizations, some NGOs that we've worked with. We've worked with Habitat's Global Village to help provide um, affordable housing and, and health outcomes for communities. We've done most of that work in Nicaragua and Guatemala. Um, we also have a partnership with the Sewing Hope Foundation, which is in northern Uganda. Um, this program has some Oklahoma ties um, with some Oklahoma leaders that I admire and have done great work. And so we take students on some international trips to understand, of course, what service means globally, but then to be able to take those messages back to also engage in their local community too, while also providing them some context of the global um, environment uh, to learn about you know, where we sit as a nation and, and also where we can help, support, but then also listen to our partners to make sure we're engaging appropriately. Um, so that's an international piece that we have. And then just by the requirements we have of a lot of our programs, 
uh, we estimate each year we uh, accomplish about 8,500 to 10,000 hours of service to different service programs across the state, um, whether that be the Hope Center here in Edmond, the Regional Food Bank, Big Brothers Big Sisters, a lot of programs that we've partnered with over the years, getting our students again to connect to their passions and serve here directly um, is a big component of our programs too that are intentional, but we allow them to choose where they wanna make that difference with whatever agency, group, or organization that they feel most connected to. Well, those are ex exceptional programs, all of them, and certainly UCO and your officers to be commended for trying to push that out and make that uh, more real and aware, and your students more aware of those opportunities, because leadership really is a community experience. It is about community, after all, and uh, when you go to a college, you think that, well, I'm not going to be there forever, <laughs> except maybe some of us who were there for a long, long, long time. <laughs> we thought we might be there forever, but... Uh, 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 but we go out into the community and then we take what we've learned uh, and put into practice. And, but uh, isn't that what we're really trying to do? We're trying to give our young people ideas and understandings of what great leadership principles are, but then the opportunity to get out there and try it. For sure. We talk a lot about the application of leadership. Actually, a couple courses and programs we do, one of our freshman kind of seminar courses is called Servant Leadership in Action. Um, and then we have a micro-credential we're developing called Applied Servant Leadership. And so these are just themes that we carry because we do believe in the theoretical. There's a reason why we research. There's a reason why we um, look at trends, we look at practices, and sometimes move forward from practices that we know now aren't as effective or impactful. So we learn about that, right? But the most important thing, we kind of have a saying around here, and it's not just unique to UCO, that place matters. Um, I mentioned international work. My, my background in PhD is actually in international relations, and I've been fortunate to see a lot of the corners of the world. But when you have a home and you have a community that you always come back to, you have to recognize that that's the most important part for you because that's where you spend the majority of your time. And so as we teach students these leadership principles of characteristics and skills that are necessary and practices to build teams and how that all works from a theoretical um, perspective, we also then have to call them to action. And so that action is really where we make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. It's where we engage um, to try to solve issues in our communities and our neighborhoods and our schools and, and government, et cetera. Um, those are really to where those learning opportunities really are impactful and powerful. I mean, something that I think UCO does really well is to put students in those situations, in those environments to say, you know, you've, you've read the book and that's great, but now let's put that to practice. Now mm -hmm. let's put our feet to the ground and you know, get our hands dirty sometimes and, and work to do the necessary um, impacts that you want to achieve. Um, nothing great was achieved in a day or through reading a book. You can learn, but the greatest impactful leaders and the ones that we look to for inspiration throughout um, history and today are ones that rolled their sleeves up and did the work. That's a necessary condition for us to really move and change society. Right, uh, roll, getting, uh, rolling your sleeves up and doing the work and getting your hands dirty is uh, certainly the heart and soul, I think, of a lot of uh, change movements. Uh, all of them, you, you, people don't sit around on the couch and, and, and speculate and, and ruminate and wonder and, and get things done. They eventually have to get out on the streets and talk to people about stuff and go make a difference uh, where the differences can be made. One of the things that I have noticed in the area of leadership particularly working in legislative bodies, deliberative bodies that make laws, is that uh, we have sort of levels of functionality. We have the people who make the laws, 
They vote. You know, we elect them and they vote. I call them the sponsors of change. A sponsor is a a person who says, okay, now today it's going to be this way because I can make that happen. I have the authority to make that happen. Then we have the people that it happens to. That's all of us. We're we're the instruments or the individuals who are impacted by whatever the rules are, the laws are, and so forth. And then we have uh, the people who say, you know, I think it ought to be different. (laughs) The advocates. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who get out there and say, uh, wait, this is not good enough. We can do better, or we ought to make some changes around here. But it takes the sponsors to say, yeah, okay, let's do that. Mm-hmm. And until you have that, you have not codified that law or codified that change. It's just, it's just an idea that has yet to be, to come, you know, to being and so forth. How do you, how do you teach that process? Uh, we call, I called it civics when I was in the ninth grade. I yeah, think we yeah. quit teaching that somewhere along the way because <laughs> most people are unaware of this, I found out. Great question and great theme. I, I really love that because I think it reflects throughout history how we have seen change, if we really want to use some examples. Um, one of the things, real quick, before I dive into that, though, some of these comments that you're making and questions, I think, really also make me realize that we... One of the themes that we really push here at UCO is that this actually isn't easy work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think sometimes, you know, we talk about leadership and it's very, you know, uh, positive and let's all go lead and all, let's all go make change. But an underlying theme we continue to, to push here is that if it was easy, everyone would do it. Um, and if change was easy, if getting sponsors to pay attention to your advocacy was easy, um, life again would be a little bit easier, right? In the sense of your work and what you want to accomplish individually or for your community, collectively, whatever that is, right? And so I, I think one of the things that's underlying to all this is that while I'm extreme, I'm always a glass, almost three-fourths full guy. I'm very positive in that regard, but we also have to remember, right? One of my favorite quotes is from uh, John F. Kennedy that says, I'm an idealist with no illusions. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way to look through that, right? Is that I want to make change. I want to support. I'm a very positive individual in that, but we also have to operate within some systems that sometimes we need to get to be more elastic, that we need to to kind of stretch the boundaries of, of how that works. And I think that goes directly into your question of how we get sponsors to listen. First, we have to engage and engage with uh, respect and dignity. Um, one of the challenges I think that we go through a lot now is that our, our, our social political exchanges are pretty destructive at times. And we have to, to get back to some things about disagreeing with policies and not necessarily the man or woman that is leading that charge, right? Um, we, can, we can disagree and have tough conversations, but still treat each other with dignity and respect. It's an area that we talk about a lot. And being an armchair quarterback or sitting on the couch, as you mentioned, isn't how that's accomplished. We have to, of course, engage. And so the first step, I think, is to, to build coalitions. And we, we talk about that, is to build like-minded individuals to, to move with you. Um, I think there's an obvious example of the civil rights movement here in the United States, which, of course, is still ongoing. But if we look at how that was formulated, is that it took a grassroots level advocacy, grassroots level leadership. And we, of course, know the famous names like Martin Luther King Jr. and, and Rosa Parks. But we also have to realize there are a lot of other people, you know, whose names aren't on plaques and on roads and, and, and aren't honored in the way that some of our greatest leaders were, but that were a part of those movements that were making phone calls, that were visiting policymakers, that were engage with those change agents and those that, you know, create the rules and regulations and policies for our, for our societies. And so it starts there. There has to be an energy behind that advocacy and and push. And it's also has to be consistent. We can't, um, you know, time is such an, an interesting thing for me because oftentimes we have these, what I would call really inaccurate timeframes and, and timing, you know, mechanisms that we think are, it's gotta be in 
five days, five months, five years. Well, that's not how a lot of this work works, right? Is that we can't, you know, define some of these things in certain timeframes that are convenient for us. They often don't operate in those, in those environments. And so that, that advocacy to get to those individuals has to be pure. It has to be, um, there's got to be some energy behind it. And again, I think we accomplish a lot more when it's done with dignity and respect to each other. Are there times we have to be a little more firm? Sure. That's the, that's, there, there are times we have to do that um, as leaders and to make sure people are listening. But I think those steps for me are really the most important, particularly in an environment where you're dealing with laws, regulations, and society. Right. Um, and at sometimes you, you have to provide an alternative. Um, you have to provide something that's different, right? And so because most of these positions I think you're speaking of are elected officials, we have to advocate then sometimes for those that do represent us. And so that's part of democracy, right? And that's one of the hardest parts of democracy, mm -hmm. if we're speaking of it in an American standpoint, is that if someone doesn't move forward or isn't listening or isn't responding, it's your responsibility then to either choose yourself or to choose candidates to support to do that, right? Now, in the business or organizational setting, those are hired positions, so it's a little bit different. But I think to your point specifically, I, I go to you know government elected officials, senators, representatives, governors, et cetera, and if we're going to engage with them, sometimes we have to say, well, then I'm going to put some energy behind other candidates. And that's a, um, a, a for me as a political scientist and government, I love that process mm -hmm. because that's what this is all about. It's about trying to affect change and find voices that will align with you. Absolutely. And, and that's a good point you made at the end. And one I always try to make is that in our particular democracy right now, which I think is why it's so important. And at this particular point in time in history, I'm not I'm apologetic by saying I think it's in jeopardy, mm -hmm. is, that, uh, is that one of the principles of the freedom that we so proudly boast about uh, is that the people pick the sponsors. Not all, like you say, not all, not, not all times do are the sponsors uh, uh, answerable to the people they lead. They are... They're there for some other reason other than being selected by the people they lead. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's CEO of a corporation, for example, selected mm -hmm. by someone else. Uh, but in our, in our governmental process, uh, we, the people, get to pick them the sponsors. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's such an important part of the, what we teach about, to your point, civics engagement. So in our leadership programs, of course, we focus primarily on their leadership development pieces, um, for them to engage and to, you know, grow and effectively lead their communities, but to recognize that you are within a governmental system and what that looks like and how you can advocate and affect for a, a change in that regard, right? So it's in leadership, we can't um, ignore those processes and systems. Right. Um, if you ignore them, then you don't engage in them, right? And you don't understand them. And really a, a thorough understanding and a thorough appreciation, whether you want to change it or you, you want to keep it the same, is necessary because that process plays out every day. Mm -hmm. And it plays out even more so locally, right? Um, I have some close friends and, and some individuals who have ran for office locally and at the state level, um, and some that have been successful, some that are continuing to learn, you know, as they go through their process of getting elected. Um, city councilmen. Board of Education individuals. It isn't all just about senators and representatives, right. right? It's about these other levels that really do impact your day-to-day, -day, your streets, your schools. Um, I think it's a pretty common theme that that's where a lot of governing happens, right, for most of our lives. And so understanding that process, though, and how to engage. Um, when we talk about civics, I think that's where there's sometimes a gap is that we focus a lot on legislative and congressional um, pieces, but we we got to remember that school boards and city councilmen and women are really at the 
center of what really impacts mm -hmm. us the most. And so understanding that process and where that leadership occurs, and then also recognizing if you know some things about leadership, who are you picking to lead? Who are you encouraging, you know, to be your, to your, be your sponsor, right? Those are really important, I think, to make, to make sure that you're not going to agree with someone all the time, but you, do you trust their character? Mm -hmm. Do you trust their integrity? Do you think that they'll listen? Those I think are when we start to think about, okay, that's who I really want to sponsor me to use that term, right? To, to lead in my community, right? I think that's absolutely the, the secret to the success, you know, of all government is that uh, people are very much aware of who their leaders are that they're selecting and they're participating. And we know that uh, everybody's excited, gets excited about a, a, a presidential race. And we, we show up and wait in line for hours and hours and hours, you know, to get to vote or whatever. And, uh, but then when it comes to your local elections that have the most impact on you, I mean, almost nobody goes. Nobody, almost the, the, the voting participation is so, so, so small in those, it's almost embarrassing. It's just really eye-opening to see how little we participate, uh, but yet how quick we are to judge, you know, when yeah, things it, don't go yeah, our way. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a, uh, a, a catch-22 kind of moment of irony, right, when we're upset with things but we don't participate. I think that that's one of our, kind of me, anecdotally, I guess, one of our, you know, messages to students, too, is you got to show up. you got to be present. You've got to, you know, sometimes put yourself out there, not just to run for office, not necessarily to put your name on a ballot or anything like that, but to be present in your community. And whether that means, you know, again, engaging with a local philanthropic group, or maybe it's your faith-based interpretation of what you want to be involved in there. If it's your church, of course, in Oklahoma, we know that um, faith is a big part of what we do in our lives. And there's a lot of great um, engagement and environments that you can engage in for, for your faith perspective. And then there's also, of course, you know, everyday, you know, community things that you're, you can choose to be a part of, um, whether that's serving on a board, you know, that's appointed and, and getting connected in that way, or whether it's in your business, making sure you're living out the principles and the things that you believe in, right. And contributing positively to your community. One of the biggest impacts that we have in the, in the society here in the United States, I think, is and it's a great relationship, is when businesses use their financial and human resources to help build community. Mm -hmm. um, business leaders have a really unique role, um, and we've seen that play out you know, time and time again across uh, cities, not just in the United States, but globally as well, that when those align and we have great business leaders that believe in partnerships and believe in creating opportunity and believe in reinvesting in their communities, we see success um, economically, socially, culturally. Um, we need that leadership consistently, and I think those partnerships are extremely important too, and we're seeing that play out, the public-private partnerships all the time um, that have been kind of moving a lot of society forward in, in some communities and local communities. I mean, in Oklahoma, you can go to any uh, you know, smaller-town community, mid-sized community, a large community, and see the business leaders and, and private citizens that are making that impact, and so that's vital. Um, to your point about the threaten, you know, things that threaten our way of life in the sense of democracy and, and government, those are, with, with the absence of that effort, with the absence of that collective community identity, um, it's, a, it's a challenge. And, and one last point on that, one of the things we talk about is this balance between your individual development and individual success and finding how you can use that to better your community. Mm -hmm. But there, it's two-tiered. Right now, I think we're leaning in a little bit too much on the individualism. 
um, side in the sense of, of what we see consistently across behavior is that my opinion matters most, my perspective matters the most. And we want to respect that, but we also have to realize that there are things we have to do, and I'll use the term sacrifice at times, in order to build better communities. And it can't always be the way that Jarrett or Garland wants it to be. <laughs> I can have my perspective, but if that's not what's best for my community, I don't have kids. I don't send kids to public schools. I pay my taxes because I want to have good public schools in my community. I'm not going to complain about that because to me, that's a, a perfect example of how me as someone that's really not getting any benefits from that other than we have an educated society, which to me is a really important benefit. I don't see that though with, because I don't have kids, they're not sending them there, right? To, to make it kind of not to belabor the point, but to use that as an example of we have to recognize that sometimes our individual preferences can take a back seat to what is best for the community and that that's sometimes necessary in order to really build strong communities and, and, and build trust and build networks of individuals who are really making a difference um, in, in our community. So I think that's, that's an area that we've really been, been focusing on a lot in our leadership development is to, to recognize we want your personal success, but we want that to align also with um, community engagement and community needs and um, really supporting sometimes a greater cause than self. Yeah. Well, well said, and uh, because we all are part of one. So, yeah, I want those schools to be successful because I want those, those young people to have every opportunity to develop their their, op their potential and their intelligence and their brilliance and be good citizens and make good decisions because they're going to take care of me at some point, <laughs> some way. <laughs> yeah. I go to them for help, you know, or for to, to a doctor or someone like that. And uh, we all bring our talents to bear on creating the quality of community that we have together. And uh, so with that, with that in mind, I do want to uh, mention that we, that, uh, that uh, you are uh, kind of spearheading an, uh, an activity coming up here in a few weeks from the time we're recording this. It's a, a, an afternoon presentation of people from the community talking about various aspects of their uh, scholarship or their interests in making a better community having to do with equity and inclusion. Uh, tell us something about that. Yeah, we have a speaker series focus event. And of course, you're one of the speakers too. So Garland, so thanks for joining us. Disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that. Um, so yeah, the idea, we, we know Next Gen Talks. And of course, as an institution, we consistently have speakers. Um, I actually have a fall course called Lessons in Leadership where we bring in community leaders and, and elected and business and philanthropic voices to our students. But this is an afternoon focus, and our theme is um, enacting equity, illuminating inclusion. These are themes that, as we continue to see from a public discourse standpoint, we think we have to have a, a good understanding of these themes. But again, to go back to the application of leadership and service, we wanted to bring in speakers who are living these things out in their work. Um, the speakers that we have, um, I'm very confident that they daily, weekly embody the spirit of equity and inclusion in the sense of how they're engaging professionally and personally. It's a wide range of speakers. There's some academics or some business leaders. There's some community leaders. And so the list is a really dynamic group of speakers that I think will provide us context and the ability to see what this work looks like. I think, again, oftentimes we will frame them, which is important. We need to have a, a common lexicon and understanding of these themes, but we also want to see it lived out. I think when we see it lived out, we can often put ourselves in their positions and start to ask the questions, what do I do in the position or in the place where I've been given influence, whether it's professionally, personally, community, whatever that is for you, and how can then I enact 
and illuminate, right? And so those are the things that we really think through and really inspired this day is to bring in the voices that are doing the work, bring in the voices that are applying these principles within their communities and really enacting change in the sense of making sure that every voice, every perspective, every background is represented um, and has a place to where they can feel, to your point about kids in education, that they have opportunity, that they have the ability to live out the fullest life in their interpretation of what that is and change and affect and impact positively their communities too. Great. Well, it's a great program, and I'm very honored to be on the stage with so many uh, illustrious uh, leaders who are living what they're, they're walking the walk that, uh, that they talk about. So also, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your own engagement with your work in mm -hmm. the sense that, that uh, you know, you can't do your work without being affected by it. Yeah. That's one thing I've noticed about, we call that personal growth or whatever, but because we're sort of living it along the way, we're not always necessarily aware of how we are being changed by the work that we do every day. And I'd like for you to think a little bit back on the, the 13 or so years you've been here doing this work. Uh, and uh, and how, how do you see... Jarrett Job today different from Jarrett Job, you know, in 2011 or so when you started this? Yeah, there's been a few moments that I can pull off. Some of them um, are, are moments that happened to me and then moments that happened with me collectively with individuals. And so I think one of the things, if I had to really say has moved the most, is really my appreciation for including as many perspectives as possible in my leadership and, and the things that I want to engage in. I think sometimes we come out of, uh, for me, a doctoral program, you get letters behind your name and you start to think, you know, you hung the moon, you got all the answers, right? But as I've moved forward from that, and one of the most important lessons I learned was that I may know a lot about this one thing, but there's a lot out there I still don't know. And I think the most important part for me that I continue to grow in is to try to just capture and listen and encapsulate as many perspectives and views about how to look at things. Um, I don't, I can't say that I always have done that intentionally. I think naturally that happens when you have conversations, coffee, lunch, but I think to be really intentional with that. One of the things we talk about is that you don't really get outcomes. You don't really make progress unless you are intentional with your goals mm -hmm. and intentional with your resources, whether that's human financial, you're not going to get outcomes unless you are really thinking about how I'm going to impact and be intentional with these things. And so to do that though, you also have to make sure the right voices are in the room, um, shared perspective, that there's trust amongst everybody so that you can share. And so I think I've taken all those to try to really then understand what makes teams effective. Um, moving from that, again, individual focus and developing myself, you know, and going through academic programs and leadership development programs to now say, how can I get even more people to have that opportunity? How can I build teams that are effective to, to offer those for students? So that's one area that I think for me personally over the last you know decade of my life really has been about, okay, I need to also focus on those around me to make sure that when Jarrett Job no longer sits at the seat, um, when Jarrett Job's no longer at UCLA, whether it's retirement or whatever that looks like, that there are people ready to take the baton and run with it. Mm -hmm. um, I use that example a lot. I ran track in high school and we joked that, you know, in the four by 100, the fastest team doesn't always win, 
the team that wins is the one that masters the exchange. Mm-hmm. And so if we can master these exchanges in our professional lives or community lives, whatever that looks like, and empower those to, to grab that baton, right, and be effective with it, that's success. And so it's, it's now more about the people around me and making sure I'm listening and I'm hearing and at times empathizing with their position to make sure that we are really um, effective at what we do, we're inclusive in what we do, and that we're able to set ourselves up for success when I'm not at the table. Well, I, I certainly can see the, the wisdom in that. And uh, would you say there's any one thing about yourself personally that you say you've learned that it was sort of an aha moment that really made a difference in the way you uh, conducted yourself after that? Well, I, I have a TED Talk about this. Uh, I had a heart attack in 2012, and so that'll wake you up, right? Um, and I was fortunate to get through that, and I had a lot of love and adoration from family and friends during that process. And so I think when you are facing, you know, a, your mortality, when, you, when it's front and center, right, um, there are some questions you start to ask yourself, yeah. right? Um, I'm a, I'm a movie person and I love, you know, movie and anecdotes and things like that. Anyone that knows me knows I love to quote them, love to talk about them and the messages that they have. And so, um, gladiator is a great, great, you know, war conflict movie. And there's a part earlier where Marcus Aurelius is asking, how will I be remembered? Will I be the tyrant? Will I be the poet? And while I don't think I've quite achieved Marcus Aurelius status yet, right? right? Um, you do, you ask those questions about yourself, you know, what if? Um, and it's also very humbling, right? Because, you know, maybe for 48 to 72 hours, there would have been some, you know, emotions shared and things like that, but then the world would have kept spinning and UCO and my environment would have to keep going. And so I think from that point, and and I don't think I was ever a, a overarchingly arrogant person. I mean, I was confident in a lot of things that I did, but you really get humbled and you really start to realize that, you know, none of this is actually about you. It really isn't at the end of the day. It's got to be about other people and how you can most impact. And so, yeah, that moment, yeah, that, that was one that you can't not learn from that, right? And right. I was fortunate to get through that and get great, you know, medical treatment. And I think about some of those things too, just by living, you know, healthcare is such a debate right now, but because of the technology and the things that I was offered, I was able to get through a really um, scary and, and, and significant health scare right. because of the care that I got from our medical professionals that had been trained and developed, right? If I was born six years ago, that probably wouldn't have been the case. Mm-hmm. And so being just appreciative too of, of that, right? Which is, I didn't choose that, but I was able to do that. So I think for sure the humility to recognize that it's, you don't need to be front and center. You know, when we do this, uh, enacting equity, eliminating inclusion, I, I have no speaking role. I'm not on stage and I don't need to be because we need to have other voices that are doing the work, right? And I can use my position here on campus to try to facilitate those types of programs and those types of opportunities. That data isn't about Jared Job, it's about the other people on stage and about those individuals that are really making the impacts. And that makes it a lot easier when you recognize that it's not always about you and that it can't always be about you anyway because at some point you won't be here. And uh, it's important, I think, to, to encase um, our leadership and our, our efforts in that environment, right? To know that, that we have to have some humility when we approach that too. Well, well said. A lot of people fail to realize how important uh, a faculty, uh, academic faculty are in the lives of the young people who go through an institution like this. 
because this is a, a time and place for a lot of those young people who are just starting to sort of figure things out, mm -hmm. <laughs> coming out of that fog of adolescence, mm -hmm. and uh, they're starting to clear, clear the mind a little bit and say, okay, well, what, what's my life going to be about? And every once in a while, uh, some uh, faculty sees a spark in someone's eyes, and, and they realize, well, here's someone who is ready. They're ready to learn. They're ready to hear. They're ready to try. And they'll spend just a little bit more of their time trying to light that fire. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I think that's really an important uh, something that faculty does that a lot of times people just don't realize. They think, oh, well, they've just got an easy, cushy job, you know. <laughs> and so, but it's, having been on a faculty before, I know it's not an easy, cushy job. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Uh, there's always someone knocking on the door saying, you know, Mr. McWaters or Mr. Job, can you help me out with this? I need some help. And uh, we have to be there to do that. Yes, and it, one of the great things I love about the UCO environment is our faculty are engaged. They're great educators. And they realize, too, that, yes, first priority is I need you to, to learn this academic discipline. But not a week goes by that one of our students in our program doesn't say, oh, man, I had a great conversation with Professor X. And, you know, he or she was really instrumental in helping me learn a lot about this. I mean, we've got great programs here with national recognition. We've got great faculty in those programs. And that's really, when we talk about transformation, and one of the big things that we talk about here at UCO is transformational leadership and um, transformational practices in our, in our classrooms, is that we do want to help move those perspectives forward and help you identify who you are and how you want to impact. And that's such an important piece of what we call kind of holistic education, mm -hmm. right? Is that we've got to make sure we're providing that. And, and I have no doubt, no hesitation, I can say this confidently that our faculty and our classrooms, that's a priority. Um, it's an emphasis. And we have great individuals making tremendous impacts in that role. And it's a role that, to your point, isn't on, a, isn't on the job description sometimes, right? That's right. Empower and, and, and lead students, right? That's usually not one of the bullet points. But um, it's something that I know that we value here and our faculty do a great job with. Well, uh, congratulations to you and all of the faculty that you certainly are uh, speaking about here at the UCO. And uh, thanks so much for your leadership in, uh, in providing these opportunities for not only uh, the students here, but the community at large to hear something like a Next Gen Talks UCO version, uh, to hear these people from around their community who are talking about uh, how they are uh, seeking to build equity and inclusion, you know, in the community and how important that is. So. Uh, kudos for that effort and thank you again for including me on that speaker's list. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Well, listen, that's Jarrett Job. He's the Assistant Vice President for Student Leadership at the University of Central Oklahoma. My guest on this episode of the Spirit of Leading podcast. And again, Jarrett, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Garland, and thank you for the work that you do. Keep moving things forward and making change. Well, thank you, and we'll certainly do that. Well, that's it for this installment of the Spirit of Leading, and I want to thank you for listening. I also encourage you to recognize and appreciate anyone who demonstrates the spirit of leading at work and in the community. When you join The Empowered, you'll get a notification of my latest podcast and also the latest post in my weekly Empowering Thoughts series. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And until next time, I urge you to live empowered each and every day and unleash your creative energy of love to make life more wholesome and joyful. Encourage the spirit, enliven the heart, enlighten the mind, and enlarge the expectations of living in yourself and in others. I'm Garland McWaters. Music